What's up, everybody? Welcome to Necromaniacs, episode number 63, January 2021. We are in a new year, hopefully a much better, brighter year for everybody. What's going on, Mike? Oh, living the dream, man. Uh, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> We get we have early January, January fourth. We got uh, you know the new year. Um, you know, had a bunch of days off from work, which is cool. And Mike, yeah. I mentioned this last episode, but did you know that 2021 was the year that uh, Road Warrior was supposed to Mad Max was supposed to take place in? Did you know that? Uh, see, I, I mean, I didn't know that <laughs> offhand, but you know, I mean, God. There's so many years now with movies like we passed Blade Runner year and now we're at Mad Max year. I mean, pretty soon we're going to be, I mean, we might be running out of film years, Mike. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. They got to start making films further in the future, I think. And, and we still don't have flying cars. We still don't have so many things we were promised. But, uh, you know, luckily the world is not completely in a post-apocalyptic hell like it was, right? At least, right? There's, there's that. There's definitely that for sure. <laughs> but uh, anyway, for the new listeners, I am Michael Scandato. With me is uh, co-host Mike Hill. And it is great to be back. Like Mike said, we had some uh, some time off. We took uh, New Year's and Christmas off. And we figured we would just start fresh with brand new episodes hitting you every week. And uh, yeah, welcome to Necromaniacs. Um so, Mike, what have you been? Uh, what did you check out over over the break, or what have you been been watching? Anything interesting? Yes, I actually just checked out this movie called Song of Solomon. It's uh, mm. one, one of the American guinea pig movies, which came out on uh, Unearthed Films. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, I, I on a whim. I just blind bought it because uh, Jim Van Beber is in it. And I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of his, and uh, he's an he actor. Loves it. You know, he acts <laughs> in it. He acts, and uh, hmm. and also it's got um, uh, Gene from Angel Corpse. Uh, you know, he actually plays this really intense priest in the movie, and um, <laughs> yeah, wow, really yeah, good. Gene. Uh, Gene is from Angel Corpse, and and currently uh, Temple of Perdition, who. Who made my my tops of 2020 music list? Their last record is a banger. Highly recommended uh, quality death metal. But uh, yeah, I, I understand he's been in some other, you know, insane horror films. I want to see this just based on the fact that number one, he's in it, and number two, it's from Unearthed Films. Unearthed Films. I mean, I think some of the listeners may be familiar with them. They are just a very hard company yeah. Yeah. to say. Yes. Uh, they really push the envelope and have from day one. Um, and I, I think they're really cool. I love that they're that they're still in it. I mean, a lot of DVD companies from the early O's, late 90s are not with us anymore. And uh, Unearthed is still at it. So that, that's really cool. I, I want to check it out. I watched the trailer on your recommendation and the trailer was really cool. Yeah, it's like uh, Exorcist sort of film, you know, Possession. Uh, the, the guy who wrote it, uh, Stefan Bureau, um, in the in the extras, he talks about being a Christian, which I found mm. I found interesting because you know an extreme horror and extreme metal and all that. There's like, oh yeah, yeah there mm-hmm. there's an anti-Christian vibe in a lot of that stuff. And um, so the 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 whole 
Christian angle with possession and exorcism was very well researched. And uh, yeah, there was a lot to the movie. It was part of that American guinea pig uh, series, which primarily is gore and, uh, you know. Yeah, really for the top stuff. I mean, that's that's not my bag, but I, I do want to check this out. I mean, how like on a one to ten, how fucked up does this movie get? <laughs> All right. Now, ten is that movie uh, Atroz, which is also mm-hmm. an earth and you know the same yes, company put that out. Yeah. Very and, uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, very uncomfortable. So I would say ten would be that spectrum with like Serbian film and all that sort of stuff. And then uh right. you know, one obviously would be like the conjuring or something like that, you know. And um, <laughs> yeah. I would say this fits in somewhere like around eight as being fucked up. Okay. Yeah, all right. Very, very, very powerful imagery in there. Very, very uh, powerful uh, gore. The subject matter is very heavy. And there's actually yeah. a lot of really good writing and story. And, you know, the acting's pretty good. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I love it, you know. And uh, I'm actually going to check out some of the other American guinea pig films. Um, you know, I, I, mm. this is actually the first one I've seen. I've only read about these. Yeah, these are movies I, I've, I've totally read about in like horror magazines and horror fanzines and websites and things like that. Um, and I know that, that, that there's the, the, the Japanese uh, guinea pig films. Am I correct? Yeah, that's like a legendary uh, ser- you know, VHS series that came out uh, in the 80s. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I, I kind of know where all this is coming from. And I'm very familiar with Unearthed films. So it's like I, I kind of know what I'm getting into. <laughs> yeah, I would I would say these unearthed films are like the uh, the underground death metal of uh, of extreme horror. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I I would totally agree. Um, so that's cool. I it's weird. I, I've been watching more uh, more TV. I, I started Vikings. Vikings came out. I don't know twenty thirteen twenty fourteen. And the most recent season is the final season, and it literally was just released uh, over the break, I think. And I'm on season one, and, and I can see why a lot of people I know are a lot, and I can see why it's so well. It is really good. Um, and I think it stays very true to what the hell was going on back then, which is I like, you know, as far as the look and, and the characters and, and, and written history and things like that. And it doesn't seem to pull many punches. Um, in the first few episodes, they they find these monks uh, on on what is England, and they just massacre them. They just kill all of them for basically no reason whatsoever. And they smash the church, and it's just very very interesting. It's like they're learning about what the hell Christianity even is. Like they don't even know what it is. Uh, they, they you know one of the main character Ragnar learns about it in season one because he takes one of the monks as a slave oh, and it's just really, it's really interesting and there's there's explicit uh sex in it or fairly explicit um and yeah i i think it's just really a, a cool movie a tv series i don't know why it took me so long but uh i i think i'm in it for the long haul even though i'm only in on season one um but yeah, I, I think, I don't know, I haven't dove into too much horror. Uh, I'm kind of looking to get back on the, like the horror, you know, track. And I, I want to kind of make it a point to make 2021 
a year that I check out more new horror, actually. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what this winter brings. Um, but as far as books, actually, I, I finally got my copy of USBM, Michael. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, US Black Metal. And uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to diving into that. I read a little bit of it. I kind of want to go in order, you know? Right. Um, but I, I, I immediately uh, kind of dove into the Grand Belial's key chapter because I wanted to see, <laughs> wanted to see what those dudes had to say. That was the first so, chapter I read too, man, the Grand Belial's yeah, key chapter. <laughs> I'm going to be frank. A lot of people I know wanted to read that chapter first. So they just wanted to see, you know, if, if any punches were pulled, as they say. But I think it's great that the book even exists. And I think it's cool that there are people I know in the book. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think American black metal is, is due for, for its own book. There's 850 books about what has gone on in Norway. Um, there's a lot of Norwegian documentaries. There's, there's just, you know, there's a lot out there, I think, that represents, you know, Norway and, and Sweden. Um, hell, there's even a, a really good Finnish uh, black metal book, which I own, because Finland has a wonderful scene of death and black metal. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, th this book, it was time to be written. So I look forward to reading it. Yeah, it was cool. It was definitely, um, you know, a pretty cool book. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I only read the, the GBK part so far. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm going to be making my way through it. You know, there's a lot of cool bands in there. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was very cool. So yeah, that, and then I'm I'm I, I've been reading the Blood Fire Death uh, oh, book. Yeah, that's a good one. The end of that, yeah, I've been reading that slowly. That's actually really cool. It just you get a lot of information about um, you know dead and mayhem because they talk to his family actually, and his, you know his brother. And I thought that was a really cool chapter. And there's a very lengthy good chapter about Bathory, and I, I don't think uh, you know. Really fucking cool book to have the Blood Fire Death book about Swedish metal. It covers death and black metal and, and a little bit about their heavy metal beginnings over there in Sweden. So that's a cool book, too. Yeah, that was a good one, man. I picked that up on tour and it was like when, when we were able to go out and, and tour. That is, it was one, <laughs> What's of the, that? one of those like books that it's just like, you know, I, I would read it like in the morning before we left for the next drive. I'd like go down and have coffee and read it and then like. You know, after sound check, I'd hang out and read it. It was cool. It was like a very uh, good thing to have out on the road. You know, cool. What about music? Any any interesting new music in the past few weeks? Actually, uh, I've I've liked this band for a long time, but uh, just now I'm really digging into this band called Abyssal. It's a UK, uh, you know, death metal, very dark death metal band. And uh, yeah, I know the name Abyssal. Yep. Yeah, they have a couple of records out. They're on Profound Lore. Uh, mm -hmm. The most recent record is called A Beacon in the Husk. And, uh, uh -huh. you know, it fits right into that same vibe. Um, another UK band that comes to mind is uh, Grave Miasma, who you and I actually yeah. saw back Yeah, you great. You know, that kind of chaotic, dark, you know, portal, you know, that kind of thing. You know, very depressing sounding, like very atmospheric. Like that's, I, I I've been listening to that band like every day actually for like the last like wow. week or so. So yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny you talk about Profound Lore. What a, what a good label. Um, two bands from from that label I've been listening to actually. Uh, one is the really good death metal band of Feather and Bone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, man, wow! I, I super impressed by those guys. And the Western tinged black metal band Wayfarer. Are you familiar with them? You know, I know the name, but I have never listened to them. Yeah, they, uh, they're, it, it's the fact that it's Western tinged black metal. And when I say Western, I mean Western as in cowboys and Indians. Um, wow. It's got these really cool vibes to it, you know? Like, I mean, it's interesting. There's another band uh, on that label that that guy, I think, from Panopticon runs. I can't pronounce the name of the band, Necrowetchen, where. They're American black metal, so they literally are focusing on American folklore, as in like the Native Americans and Indians, which is interesting. You know, like you know, Nor- Norwegian black metal focuses a lot of it on its own. You know, it could say pagan Viking folklore. Why can't an American black metal band focus on American folklore? So I, what Wayfarer does focuses on the Old West. So that's kind of cool. Wow. I think that's really. Cool. That sounds interesting. Well, I'll check that out. You know. Yeah, I think you would dig them, actually. They they sonically sometimes have Coombs-ish vibes to me, to be honest. So oh, really? I think you might dig them, yes. A little bit, a little bit. Um, and also, I've been checking out the new record from Finland's Horna. Oh, man, uh, great one, band. This one came out in the, the first week of December, like out of nowhere. Like, I'm noticing some bands have been doing that lately. They're just dropping records. Uh, without any fanfare, which I think is really cool. And it's called Kulaman uh, Kirjo, and I'm sure I've murdered that, but it is a banger. It is really, really good. <laughs> uh, way back, Mike and I saw uh, Horner play at a hole in the wall in New Jersey. It was really wild. What a fucking show that was, right, Mike? About 10 years ago? Maybe? Yeah, I don't yeah know. man. It was like, I, I actually, I, I felt scared at that show. I I thought something was going to happen to me. Yes. um, That was when they had the singer prior to the current singer. I I don't know his name. He is not the singer of the band for the last several years and the last couple of records. Uh, The the current singer is the guy Spellgoth. Um, This was the singer prior to Spellgoth. And he was literally a black metal Gigi Allen, let's just say. Yep. He was like rolling around and breaking shit and and it was it was getting really kind of buck wild in there and and in the area where the club was was a little little sketch it was just a fun time one little road trip we took (laughs) there was i remember there being like like 16 bands on that on that bill too (laughs) you know because we got there we got there at like 11 30. i just having trouble remembering the rest of the bill it was them and about two other bands were on a U.S. run, but the promoter added on a bunch of other bands. And it would be interesting to see if I could find the rest of the bill, because I think other very solid bands were on it, but I'm having trouble remembering them. Um, and I've also been checking out, uh, speaking of, of naughtiness, uh, the new Inquisition record. I, I have to say it is quite good. So, yeah, uh, an unfortunate circumstances around uh the lead singer but they have released a new record on uh label agonia and um it is quite good i have to say 
Yeah, I, I got to be honest, man. Not not because of any of the uh, politically incorrect stuff. I just was never, I never really caught on to that band, really. Yeah, I remember you saying that. You were never a fan to begin with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I if they were awesome, I wouldn't care about any of the other stuff, honestly. But I I um I never got into them. And then they played a show at St. Vitus a number of years ago. And I remember I went to be like, let me see what this is all about. And I just I just didn't like it, you know. Yeah, yeah. You were never on board. See, I, I was a fan from from a while back and I was just surprised to see that they regrouped and, and made a record and, and scored a new record deal. but apparently the, the new record is doing so well it blew out of, of, of two vinyl pressings already so you know just goes to show black metal fans are black metal fans you know <laughs> despite uh what um metal sucks has been trying to uh any of the tabloids or any of the whatever <laughs> you know let's just say there's there's Hey, there's shitty people in black metal. There's shitty people in hardcore, and some people, you know, they they listen to what they want to listen to. You know, what can you say? They you, they separate the the art from the artist. Absolutely. And hey, you could say the same for even film directors. I mean, Woody Allen, right? I mean, it, it can go any way. Yeah. Um... That uh, Cine Cinescope, that company that um, mm -hmm. they put out, uh, dragged across concrete and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, we we talked about them exactly. It's just you know, yeah, they've uh, come under fire too over some other you know things that have gone down with that that company. But you know, I still still check out the movies. You know, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean. People worship Gigi Allen. Gigi Allen was not a good guy, <laughs> to say the least. That's but, a good. That's a really good point because if you're going to start like splitting hairs, then you got to not listen to Gigi Allen or you know. Many people. I mean, mentors. we we could the whole day talking about it, right? But this is a film podcast, of course, listeners. Yeah. But I mean, you know, hey, you, we you could dissect it millions of ways. And bring up millions of artists, actors, musicians, etc. So, you know, <laughs> this is going to be awesome, man. It's going to be like right wing podcast necromaniacs, <laughs> <laughs> extreme right wing oh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> However, <laughs> it is completely not true. It's to me, it's it's about it's about art. You know, art meaning music and film. They make up art. You know. And uh, a lot of art can come from very troubled people and troubled places, right, Mike? That's the thing, man. It's like people want to be into like the outsider stuff without actually going outside, you know. And they they want to have these like vicarious thrills uh, without any real understanding that maybe the people creating this stuff have like deep deep seated problems that they're working out through their art. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's again, it's uh, none of this is a cosign of anything. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's about the, the work, you know, it's about, you know, listening to or reviewing or talking about, or, you know what I'm saying? Digesting the work uh, of, of it. It's not a cosign of someone's shitty fucking behavior. That's how I see it. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I think I see it that way as a musician or as someone who's 
you know what I'm saying? It spent their whole life in music, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's grown even further out of music into films, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, we, we just mentioned, uh, you know, Cinescope, who's like come under fire from, uh, you know, some people who don't agree with some of the, you know, ideologies or I'm not even ideologies. Like the fact that they're not like a, an extreme left leaning organization, people mm-hmm. are offended by that. And, you know, but I've watched a bunch of the films that they've done and I don't really, I don't see any, any, any kind of, uh, insensitivities or anything like that besides they're just like old school like hard-boiled movies in the same style as other films from the 70s really exactly exactly and it's just i think some people didn't grow up with those types of films and didn't grow up with those you know with that with that and it's new to them and it's it's just may not be to their liking uh, and speaking of the seventies, I've also been listening to the Bee Gees. So how about that? <laughs> oh, is it, isn't there a uh, like a documentary about them? Like on, yeah, on, uh... I gotta say, highly recommended, wonderful documentary on HBO about them. That it is like you know how great that Cannibal Corpse documentary was, and yes. it was like watched it and was like, man, I wish every metal band had a, a cool documentary like this. Well, this Bee Gees movie is in, in similar to that, and it's like. You wish every band had a documentary as good as this documentary. Like, it's that good. It's really, really good. Um, and it covers, you know, all aspects of their career. And it's just well shot and well, just everything about it is just well done. Very well done. I got to check that out. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, there's, there's only one brother left standing. You know, it's kind of, you know, a little bit of a downer. But uh, you realize just the impact that, they had and it's just really interesting well the crux of this episode is to <laughs> uh celebrate uh daria nicolodi who uh, recently passed away in november on november 26 2020 yes that is right um this episode is not about music no <laughs> uh this is in fact uh about Italian films, to be honest, and an Italian film actress and an Italian film director. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Daria Nicolodi at Chiller in 2010. And she was really cool and very funny, actually. Um, she was sitting there. She had, like, her cigarettes out on her, her table. I mean, you weren't allowed to smoke in there. But, boy, I could tell that she wanted to have a cigarette, you know? Um, and she was probably taking a lot of like, you know, cigarette breaks when she could, but she was just really funny. I remember I asked her about, uh, 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 Asia. I'm pronouncing it Asia today. Sometimes I'll say Asia Argento, but I'm pronouncing it Asia because that's how she pronounced it. Um, I said, you think she would ever do something like this? And she gave me this funny look. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, no, I don't think so. But I actually think she did, I think, one convention once, uh, Asia. So um, I can't remember where it was in America, but she it's not really her forte. But, uh, yeah, I, I had her sign uh, this 8 by 10 of her, and I still have it, actually. I got to post a picture of it. I meant to post a picture of it after she had passed, but uh, it was, you know, in, in my, my many files, and uh, it was like the only time she'd ever done chiller. She hadn't done 
many appearances like this in America. So to me, it was a really big deal. And one of my friends got a bunch of stuff signed by her and, and she looked like she was having a good time. Yeah. And she's uh, an important um, player in uh, the Italian, the seventies Italian horror movement, I would say that, uh, you know, involved Dario Argento, the guy who wrote and directed the two films we're going to use as uh, a showcase to talk about Dario. <laughs> and um, yeah, she was in some of his, uh, you know, some of his best films, you know, Suspiria, Inferno, Opera. Those are some of my favorites. As, uh, yeah. Honestly, one could make the argument that when he met her, right, which he met her as she auditioned for Deep Red in 74, uh, actually, and they, they obviously hit it off. Um, yeah, they got they that married when, for a number of years. Yeah, so. from, when, from when he met her, to, to when they, they, you know, she stopped being in his films with her. The last film she was in of his technically was opera. She was in The Sect, but that wasn't his movie. He, he produced it. Um, that's like his greatest run, really. Deep bred to, to opera, if you really, you know, break it down. And with, with her at his side. And one could argue that the movies after opera never measured up to the time when she was with him, right? Hmm. You know something? I'd have to agree with you on that. Um, oh, yeah. There, there was definitely a big uh, drop off in, um, you know, quality. Like Mother of Tears, for example, was a very. It, I mean, it looks like a lifetime uh, movie. You know. Well, that's funny. That's her working with him again in '07 for the first time in many years. But by then, yeah. you're not. I mean, sadly, you're not really getting Argento. Argento. You know what I'm saying? You're not getting the I'm full force at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What was that? No, you're not. You're not getting the full force. You know, you're you're getting like a pale version of that. You know, that partnership. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, although I maintain, probably two of his, his better later films, uh, Sleepless is one of them. I really like that one uh, from 2001. Um, what do you call it? And there's the other one I like, too, from the early 90s that the, the name is escaping me, unfortunately. But uh, Sleepless is really cool. Um, it's been a little hard to come by in America, but it's actually I believe it's getting another less limited uh, Blu-ray release uh, this year. Uh, it had one that came out that was more kind of limited. Um, but uh, Stendhal Syndrome. I love Stendhal Syndrome. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. So it just gets a bit uneven. Like you don't get those like those back to back bangers anymore with her out of his life. Let's just say that. Right. Sure. You know, Deep Red was actually the first Argento film I ever saw. Um, I, oh, wow. I, yeah, I bought it on VHS and uh, <laughs> I still have it on VHS. And that's the version I watched. Recently. Wow, that's great. Now, it's funny because. It, it's, it had an interesting, uh, you know, release history, right? It, it came out as Deep Red, Profondo Rosso, of course, in, in Italy, uh, in, in Europe, in March, March 7th, 1975. Uh, its U.S. release was June 11th, 1976. But then it had a, another release as the Deep Red Hatchet Murders in 1980, right. actually, uh, in America. Uh, independent, you know, independently released into theaters. So it's had a wild release at home video 
history with things cut and, you know, I'm saying different versions. Um, I actually last night watched the uh, for Arrow Video has a really, really great version of it. Uh, double disker. Uh, I have the deluxe version, like the first run of it came with all this extra cool shit, like lobby cards and a poster. I, I was able to get that version. Uh, if you buy it now, it just has the two discs. But one of them has the original full-length Italian version, which is probably maybe 10 to 15 minutes longer than the one you may have watched. Yeah, I definitely um, didn't watch that yeah. version. Yeah. Mm -hmm. my, my was like the chintzy American version that came out. <laughs> and you know what's interesting, right? This this version that that, that was cut, what they managed to cut out was a lot of the scenes between uh, Daria and David Hemming, like a lot of their kind of back and forths. And it was, it was a shit ton of scenes where she bested him, basically. Like this Deep Red, if, you, if you're really kind of paying attention, David Hemmings is kind of like the woman in this movie. Daria Nicolodi is a stronger character She's a more of a fearless character, not maybe not the woman, but he's he's more subservient in this movie. And there's a lot of scenes that they took out on purpose because of this back in the day. Isn't that interesting? You know, maybe I did see that version, the longer version, because there was a lot of. All right. Well, first of all, uh, Hemings is a, a, a musician. OK, he's like a British musician in, in mm -hmm. Italy and and uh, Nickelodeon plays um, a uh, journalist. Yeah, reporter. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, she's definitely more of the you know roll your sleeves up like street kind of street smart you know character, and uh, Hemings is like the sensitive artist. You know what I mean? He's like involved in the arts. You know, so there's like a little bit of a a um, you know uh, unevenness there where like she's she's more assertive and he's not as assertive. I would say. Now, yeah, the version I watched was about 126 minutes long. Uh, 22 minutes were cut. Uh, some of it was the more graphic violence, but a lot of it was the humorous scenes and the romantic scenes between Hemmings and Nickelodeon. And there's a, a little subplot about the, the house of the screaming child. Was there a scene where he's in a library reading a book about the house of the screaming child? Yes, actually, that that's in the version that I have. So, so yeah, so I guess there's a VHS version of this long cut out there. Oh, great! Well, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, well, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't but, think I um, got that one. Yeah, it, you might. Was it? Is it Anchor Bay by chance? No, no. This is like it might even be a bootleg that I have. It's like it's in a clamshell, and uh, mm. it's got like you know it, it has like that big graphic on the front, you know, and and um. That's yeah. great. I, I I bought it at like a secondhand video place in Boston when I lived up there, and uh, that's cool. yeah, I'll have to show it to you next time. And um, I I remember reading about it uh, in one of those like Chaz Ballin uh, books, you know, those like mm -hmm. uh, one of his publications, and he referred to it as Deep Red Hatchet Murders. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And there was this video store in Boston. Um, in the Alston mall called uh, garage video. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, anyone out there who, who may be listening, who lived in, lived in that town in the nineties, in in Alston, 
they might know about this place. This like really cool guy, Will, owned it. And I was talking to him about, you know, hey, I want to check out this guy, Dario Argento, you know, this movie called Deep Red Hatchet Murders. And he showed me this, and it just said Deep Red on it. So I was, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just a little, little background on my involvement with the movie. You know, it's funny. I, I don't have the exact story of how I became, uh, how I found Dario Argento. I, it definitely had a lot to do with Fangoria, right? Yeah. And seeing his name a lot. And I, I'm going to say that the first movie of his I saw, I believe, was a Suspiria on VHS. That was probably the first one. But a part of me thinks the actual first movie I saw of his was Unsane on VHS, which we're going to get to a bit later. So that was my my initial introduction to him at some point in the 90s, seeing Unsane, which is Tenebrae. Yeah. Um, but in 1999, Argento did thank the, the Fangoria Convention. The Fangoria Convention in New York was the convention, folks. It was awesome. Um, it was, you know, Chiller basically began as someone who had a, a table at the Fangoria Cons. Like, it was like the epicenter of like horror for, for New York and on the East coast. And basically every convention I think grew out of it, but this was when it was kind of you know, its last days of, of awesomeness. And, you know, other things were on the horizon. Like chiller was already off and running basically by this time, but I hadn't been to chiller yet. And uh, it was such a big deal that he was there. And I, I, I got to meet him and I got his autograph. And he was promoting uh, his Phantom of the Opera, Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Phantom of the Opera? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so that really, I think, reignited my interest in him. And then, uh, you know, becoming uh, closer with uh, my buddy Mark Yoshitomi from Generation Records, uh, he was a mega fan already. And then Mark kind of, schooled me on some of the more obscure Argentos and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was just kind of like a combination of those two things, basically, that, that kind of set me on the path. Uh, I didn't see Deep Red until ooh, 2000, maybe? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say around 2000. And I really liked it right away because what really sucks you in is the fucking music. And Dude. not only does this kick off the Daria Nicolodi collaboration, uh, Deep Red, as many of you know, kicks off the Goblin collaboration. Um, and this is their first, you know, movie with Dario. And uh, man, it, it is unforgettable score, unforgettable music. I mean, th this this music was, you know, e even uh, John Carpenter himself uh, said that, you know, he loved this music back then. And, you know, I, I believe... He said the Suspiria music had had more of a direct influence on his Halloween score writing, but uh, he's also given this score quite a few prop, uh, quite a few props as well, deservedly so. Yeah, the uh, the Deep Red score is a little bit more like like frenetic, you know, like there's mm -hmm. a lot more like uh, chaos going on with the music, and I feel like the Suspiria score, it's a little bit more brooding, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just it fits the tone of the movie a little bit better, you know, and a little differently. I should say differently, not better. But uh, 
But yeah, it's uh, I mean, damn, I you know, you know how much how highly I regard Goblin and, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big we're both big fans. I just think like just I just remember like being at that convention actually, honestly. And just the baseline kicking in, right? Yeah. That baseline and then the keyboards kicking in and it's just like what is this? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And it was just vibe like they, they they showed the deep red original trailer and this like music and they showed like some of the opening scene and it was just like wow and you know at me being you know a musician and a lover of just all different types of music hearing i'll just hearing goblin for the first time was just fucking floored me honestly yeah i'd never heard anything like that you know personally um you know when i when i i've coming from listening to punk and hardcore and like, you know, classic yeah. rock or whatever. And like, you know, like maybe like the most progressive I got was like, yes, Hermes and Lake and Palmer. That's like the only thing yeah, that even it brought to mind that kind of stuff. It brought to mind maybe even like a pink float, like, but I, that wasn't like my bag, you yeah, know, I mean, either, but I, and, I was familiar with that, but I yeah. wasn't my neck. Mm -hmm. But and goblin yeah. was when you first hear that goblin stuff, just like the, the craziness you know and how just like there's like this chaos in the music you know mm -hmm. and it just almost sends a chill down your spot it still does actually any i put on deep red i put on the, the vinyl and you know it's just like holy shit this is powerful like when not a lot of soundtracks just do that you know like this i mean obviously that there are ones that do that like you know like you, you hear the poltergeist, not poltergeist, you hear the exorcist, theme yeah. from the exorcist, you hear the bells and the, the, the opening music and the shining. And, you know, of course, Carpenter's score and Halloween and many of his other films. But this is up there with all of that, in my opinion, you know? Oh, yeah. And everything Goblin has done is, is just up, is like up there. It's just, it's just, it immediately transports you someplace. Yeah. It's like I feel like I'm 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 not, you know, two years old in nineteen seventy-five. I feel like <laughs> I'm like twenty in nineteen seventy-five. And I'm you know what I'm saying? It's just <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. It's just really kicked off my love affair with with uh, Argento and, and Rome and Italy and all these movies. Yeah. That's the thing too. It's like you know how um with Scorsese, Scorsese's mm -hmm. like a you know, he's a New York film guy new york filmmaker like you know most, right. i feel like argento is like this rome roman filmmaker you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it, it, yeah. it's, it's they have a very strong connection to that and uh like his films like you know most of them take place in rome or you know at least in italy but there's like this urban italian southern italian thing that goes on right. which i really <laughs> dig about the, about all of his movies like he was able to nail it man just yeah, very good point mike i love that just like Scorsese was and is able to just kind of nail it for New York in, in, in many of his films, Argento is that guy that just takes you there to Italy in the 70s, early 80s. And that's it's just you want to be there, <laughs> you know, like I, watching all of his like watching literally the first eight Argento movies or whatever, like they, they're all worlds you want to be in. And you're, you're immersed in these worlds. And the music to all of them is awesome. I mean, 
And in, in the first three movies, you have Morcone's fucking ridiculously awesome music for the Animal Trilogy. Like, I love the Bird with Crystal Plumage's score, man. Oh, my God. Talk about, like, moving music, you know? And Argento has, has stolen some of that for some of his – I mean, not Argento, uh, Tarantino yeah. has taken some of the the uh, Morricone music from Argento movies and put them in a few of his movies. So it's like, obviously, it's just – it leaves a mark with you, you know? But I, I do like that analogy with Scorsese. Um, and Scorsese is a fan of Dario, so yeah. that's, that's pretty good. The um, now, let's get some things, some definitions out of the way about Gialli mm -hmm. and what that actually is, because these two films I think are um, definitely very good representations of that film style. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, basically, Giallo. I mean, they're they're gruesome murder mystery thrillers, you know. Uh, for me and for a lot of people, uh, historically, the first one is The Girl Who Knew Too Much from 1963 um, from Mario Baba. Uh, I'd say I own that movie. It's a fucking great movie. It's really good. Um, that really put it kind of on the map in Italy, uh, along with, uh, you know, uh, other films from, from Baba. But they went away for a little while. And it wasn't until 69 with Argento's Argento kind of resurrected it really in 69 with bird with crystal plumage. Um, I mean, the, the, the name is derived from like the, these a series of cheap paperbacks in Italy that were like these mystery and crime thrillers that were everywhere back in the day in, in Italy. And they all had yellow covers, these like very specific kind of lurid, you know, colors. Uh, yellow uh, covers, excuse me. And it's funny, like, I think about that. And it reminds me of, like, being a kid. Remember back in the day when women were reading, like, romance novels all the time? And they had, the, <laughs> yeah. they had a certain look to them. The covers had a certain look. They had a certain painted cover kind of thing with, you know, a really good-looking guy and good-looking woman. Like, I have this weird image in my head of, like, my mom reading those types of books. So I'm thinking like back in the day in Italy, it was like those books were like so popular. It's like, oh, they're re reading one of those those mystery books, one of those thriller books, you know. And what a shame they didn't bleed into America because I would love to have a whole shitload of English translated versions of these books. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, I mean, look, some people will say that if it's not Italian, it's not even a Jalla film. But that's kind of right. But it's basically a film that has a mystery or detective elements that contain whether it's like slasher or psychological thriller or psychological horror, sexploitation uh, or psychedelic elements. And then even less frequently, they could have like a, a supernatural horror element. It's just it's a certain specific type of, of film, you know, um, we've brought up many times that there are movies in America that have been you know referred to as american giallo films like uh cruising and body double and dress to kill and even basic instinct all those movies have those you know elements of the the 70s late 60s italian 
thrillers to them, in my opinion. Would you agree? No, especially Dress to Kill. I mean, that even the way that it's shot, like it looks like very yeah. Italian yeah. influenced, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, the, the thing is, after this, like, Bird with Crystal Plumage comes out, right, in 1969 in Italy and 1970 uh, in America. It was huge. And then Dario followed up in two subsequent years with the Cat and Nine Tales. And, um, oh, God, help me out here, Mike. <laughs> what's, the, what's the other one? Oh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, yeah, yeah. which is the, most, the more elusive one because for some reason it, doesn't, it didn't get as many releases uh, domestically here in America as the other two. Um, he steps away from these for a little while, actually. Uh, Argento, but in the time that he steps away from them, literally over a hundred Jawa films are made, right. <laughs> and it blows up and becomes a big thing. Uh, he actually does this weird uh, historical film in between Four Flies on Grey Velvet and Deep Red called The Five Days of Milan, a movie I have never seen. I've never have seen that seen? either. Yeah, it's I don't even know. It's very hard to come by in America for some reason. I really want to see it just just to see it as a completist. But his big return to these films is Deep Red. And holy shit. It like to me it really kind of lays to waste a lot of the copycat movies. Although there are some wonderful copycat movies. Uh I mean we could do several episodes about some banger Jalla films from back in the day. But Deep Red is like a home run fucking like a-list, you know, like fucking A-quality film. And I think, like, that's why, man, you, as people love to kind of throw shit at, at Dario in the modern sense. But in my opinion, what he did in the past is so good that it doesn't even fucking matter how shitty some of the last few movies were. Maybe is that too fanboyish? No, nah, man, the- I mean, you know, every... Filmmakers go through eras, man. You know, they have their, they have their, uh, you know, their heyday. They got their golden era. And then they, maybe they try some different things that don't work. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. You know, I mean, you can't discredit the, the greatness of his past achievements with maybe the not so great movies he made in the last couple of decades, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I just think, it, uh, I would say, look, <laughs> of our listeners have seen the movie right but for those who have not and if you've never even dipped your toes in italian horror or, or giallo films i this is the wonderful place to start deep red um you know i i just think that it's just as far as a quality movie goes i think it, it's just up there with with many a-list horror films in my opinion and a-list thrillers also, there's like three different languages spoken in the movie, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got Italian, you got English, you got German. Right. Um, well, you, David, well, you have David Hemmings, who is, is, is the Eng, you know, British English actor in, in the film. And he is one of the few characters not dubbed, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. All these movies, uh, specifically Argento's movies, were shot in English, as I've said before. All these movies, all these people are talking English, but a lot of them were speaking broken English with Italian accents, with the 
a Spanish accent, with a German accent, with some type of European accent. So they would dub the movies to make sure everybody was in English. And they did it to get the movies into America and to get it into other markets, basically to, to get it everywhere. It's just That's just how it was done. But if you had a standard American or English actor who had a great voice or, or maybe sometimes didn't even have a great voice, they kept your voice. <laughs> um, but it's kind of weird. I almost would love to hear like these movies with the with the broken English. Like what I had what you do get the option of a lot of times with these movies is you get the option of getting it in Italian with English subs. OK, right. Which is cool and all. But it's not matching, you know, like it's sometimes like you get this weird mishmash. Since I have shitty hearing, I'm always putting on subs. And a lot of these movies on Blu-ray have all these very interesting options for subs and languages. And sometimes it, there's almost no good matchup I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Like it doesn't fit what they're saying. And I almost feel like I'm better off with the English dub and no subtitles because the subtitles popping up on the screen are not what they're kind of really annoying, actually. So I watched <laughs> Deep Red with the, I just took the subtitles off. I just kept the English dub version, no subtitles. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and also we talked about this earlier too, just how for a movie in the seventies, they introduce a lot of uh, modern like stuff like right now you know transgender yeah homosexuality but mm -hmm. it's not it's done in a matter of fact way with no judgment you know which i think was really ahead of its time especially in here's Deep the Red. thing about um about dario dario is and was a liberal guy yeah actually uh if you i mean i just you could figure that out i think watching the the, the animal trilogy deep red and, you know, and Tenebrae, um, all of these movies feature characters that are kind of like ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. Um, sometimes, yes, it's a bit exploitative, but I think more often than not, it was done kind of tastefully. Yes. So would you agree? Well, with yeah. That? Well, I mean, especially in Deep Red, because we have um, Carlo, who's. Um, yeah, he's a gay character. Yes. Yeah. But. The, the thing that's cool about it is you don't, it, it's not like he's an obviously gay character. He's, it's discovered no. that he's gay. Right. When, when, when uh, Demings goes, Hemings goes to his, to his house and he mm -hmm. has like a very uh, flamboyant lover living there with a, a mustache. And there's an uh -huh. even, but there's another twist to even that. Yes. It was played by a female actress. It was a female actress playing a man playing a woman. So, yeah, Argento was, was a very interesting guy. He played with sexuality. He played with gender roles a lot, actually. And he does so, as we said, in Deep Red. And he definitely does so in, in Tenebrae. Um, yeah, he was a progressive guy. He was, a hip, he was, you know, I guess kind of in some ways an Italian hippie. The thing is, there was a very, um, there was like a big thing of fascism going on back in the day in Italy. And I think he was completely against that. Yeah. And it kind of showed in his movies. He was not, you know what I'm saying? He was, he was a very with it guy of his time. Let's just say, and he was a progressive guy of his time. And, um, it showed through in his art. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that is he was kind of ahead of the curve. Like a lot of the other Giallo are way more like sleazier and a little bit more, way more exploitative. Uh, like I said, there are exploit, you know, exploitation elements to his movies, but I think for the most part, they're way classier than, you know, the New York Ripper. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. Not, yeah. not, a, not a slight at, at Fulci, because Fulci has some wonderfully understated films, actually, and has some shit in his canon that I think more people should talk about, uh, like Lizard and a Woman's Skin and One on Top of the Other and, you know, things like that. And Don't Torture a Duckling, which I, I think all those movies are fucking amazing. But, you know, as, as his career went on, he got stranger and stranger and his movies became way more misogynistic and weird. Um, I don't think Argento, I, I've never really seen him as a misogynist, although his insistence on his own hands being the hands that have any scene of murder or black gloves with the women, you know, that, that's that's his little his little trademark there. It's always his hands. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think above all, his shit is a bit more classier. With Tenebrae, it gets a bit rougher around the edges, but I think that's a bit more of a sign of the times because we're in 1982 by then, and the world has changed, and movies have, I think, were just, you know, things were just, the envelope was just pushed more by 82. And yes, I think Argento was probably pushing the envelope more, and his movies got a bit more violent, but I still don't think it's coming from a place of misogyny for him. Um, now, we're not going to, you know, delve deep into the, the, the plot of Deep Red. But, um, I mean, if you want, we could do a, a, a bit more of a, of a rundown of the overall, you know, workings of it or the plot of it, if you'd like. Well, one of the, one of the coolest things about it is the, t the title. It just it translates to darkness, <laughs> which I think is an incredible name for a movie. What? Uh, that's uh, Tenebrae, right? Tenebrae, I was talking yeah. about yeah. yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, deep, deep red is profundo rosso. The one cool thing about, uh, well, one of the many cool things about deep red is, uh, Daria went on to name his store uh, profundo rosso. There's an actual uh, store that you can visit in Rome that I believe is still open with the same name, and it kind of has all horror stuff and it has a lot of his movie props in the store. Isn't that cool? I had no idea. Yes, it is in Rome. Um, and Luigi Cozy, his buddy, runs the store, a fellow film director. Yeah, it's a horror memorabilia shop. Uh, Luigi Cozy, of course, uh, a, a kind of an Argento protege. Uh, he, he did movie Contamination and Star Crash, uh, Hercules. You know, he, he had a hand in movies like Sandal Syndrome and Two Evil Eyes and, you know, He's uh, been around the horror block himself. But uh, if I ever get to Rome and that store is open, that is one of the first places I want to go. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't realize that. I, didn't, I had no idea that even existed. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, honestly, look, Deep Red is a, is a five out of five, obviously. I, I think it is. Uh, would you think, would you agree? Yeah. No, this, this is like a, a classic film in my, my opinion. You know, definitely a five out of five. Oh, totally. 
So yeah, I mean, I, I would gather a lot of the listeners have seen it, but if you have not seen it, I, I think it's a wonderful kickoff for Argento, and it's a wonderful uh, Giallo film kickoff. Uh, now we're going to discuss uh, a movie he did about seven years later, um, which I personally credit with being pretty much the last giallo or the last great giallo which is tenebrae uh tenebrae is another one that's had a bit of an interesting release um because in america it was called unsane right and that's the movie i that's the first argento movie i saw unsane it was a vhs rental at a video store in cheapset bay uh tenebrae came out in italy on october 27th 1982 the U.S. release was not until February of 84, as Unsane, heavily edited and about 10 to 12 minutes shorter. It also went by the name Shadows, Mike, in some places, some countries. The movie was also called Shadows. Yeah, because uh, Ten Tenebrae literally translates into you know, dark, shadow, right. you know, darkness. Um, yeah. And yet another title of this movie that I, I, I think I had heard but I'd forgotten about was under the eyes of the assassin that's a cool name that's a really good name i didn't even know it was called that that's great yeah under the eyes of the assassin um yeah this one was directed of course by obviously by argento and written by argento uh it stars american actor anthony franciosa who i i really like this guy i've never seen a lot of anthony franciosa movies but i've but i've always wanted to just based on the fact that i always got a kick out of him in this movie uh, and it stars legendary uh, horror and film icon John Saxon um, from, you know, uh, Bruce Lee films. Yeah, Enter uh, the Dragon, man. He's in that movie. Dragon, the Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, uh, he was also in, in, the, in the, the Baba film, The Girl Who, Who Knew Too Much, I believe, actually, as well. Um, he's got a, a very lengthy Italian film resume. But you know what's funny, though, <laughs> as far as the dubbing goes? There are scenes in this movie where it's not even John Saxon's voice, and I have no idea why. Like, <laughs> his voice in some scenes, but I swear to God, in some scenes, it's, I'm like, wait a minute, why, why did they change his voice? He's an American actor. It's in America. Like, I don't know. But anyway. Let, let me well, ask you a question. Let me ask you a quick question about John Saxon, okay? Uh -huh. I think, well, it's not really a question. It's... <laughs> I think John Saxon is Italian. Yeah, I believe he is Italian. Yeah, like his that Saxon is not his last name. You know. Hold on, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna make sure. No, I don't think that is his last name. But I gotta see what his real name was because he may have even he may have even spoke Italian at one point in his yeah. life. Um, what is his real name? He was from he was from Brooklyn. Yeah, he went Brooklyn. Wow, awesome. Okay. All right, getting warm. Um, oh wow, dude, his name is Carmine Oricio. <laughs> I knew it. Crazy, because yeah, he's been in a hell of a lot of Italian films, man, and he looks Italian too. Hmm, I wonder. Yeah, but it's just funny though. Like the, the dubbing thing is just hilarious sometimes. Like you, you never know why some people were dubbed and why some people weren't, and so funny. But uh, anyway, let's see. What, what he was in? 
Yeah, he was he was in a Bava movie. He's in a more, I think he was in more than one Bava movie. But the thing is this. This movie has the really cool distinction of having some opening New York City shots. Did you catch those? Yeah, he's uh Anthony uh, Francioso is like riding his bike down the Belt Parkway to. Uh, to you know, that's the thing. I was trying to. F okay, first of all, no one can ride their bike on the Belt Parkway, not even in 1982. <laughs> then I think there's a scene where it looks like he's on the Van Wick, and you can't even be doing that on the Van Wick. Somebody pointed that out today on Facebook uh, on the horror nerd discussion, and we, we're getting a laugh over that about how this wasn't even legal back then. Yeah. But I it also comes off of what is either the Manhattan Bridge bike path or the Brooklyn Bridge bike path. That's where he's first on. I thought that was a really cool shot. And then there's a shot of of uh, of the of a Bell Parkway sign actually, which I which was one that was very close to my home where I grew up. I thought that was awesome. Um, and he arrives at Kennedy, and I believe that is uh, Kennedy Airport in the very beginning. I think it, although it might have just been exteriors kennedy and then the all the rest of it is rome because almost all this movie is you know after this opening scene does take place in rome and was shot in rome but i love how a lot of the italian directors back in the day threw these new york shots in uh fulci did it obviously he famously filmed his end scene of zombie illegally on the brooklyn bridge so i bet you a million dollars these opening tenebrae shots were also done illegally <laughs> i would say so yeah definitely Oh yeah, but uh, um, I love this movie. It's it's got like that really kind of sleazy eighty. Like some of it, I don't know why, has always reminded me of Scarface. Maybe like the way some of the women look and like yeah. like type of the music, right? Well, let's 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 set on that for a minute because um, something I learned about this movie is that. Apparently, it was intended to be in a not-too-distant future. Yes! Okay, yeah. I read the same thing. Ever get, ever get intel on something, and then it leaves your head, and then when you read it again, it's like it's a combination of, did I know this already, or is this for the first time? Yeah. When I read that, I thought to myself, wait, did I know that, or is this new information? What, either way, it's pretty fascinating information that apparently Tenebrae is set potentially five years or more in the future, in a future world. So it's not even 1982. It's potentially later than 1982. Right. Which is interesting. Which still makes it like, you know, 30 something years ago for, for real time. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, apparently there was, um, this concept that some kind of, uh, something had, an event had happened which decreased the population yeah so there was like less people on the streets and it, it was never really addressed in the film but from what i've read <laughs> that was like a vibe that argento wanted to create in this movie yeah apparently back around that time in interviews argento said this right yeah. what you just said he said yeah. that uh, in Cinefantastique, apparently, he said it takes place in a world inhabited by fewer people with the result that the remainder are wealthier and it is less crowded. But something happened to make it that way, but no one remembers it or wants to remember it. 
you know that, that's fucking so cool yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, fucking, it's cool, really you know? really cool like real creepy too you know um and then apparently in another interview he insisted it's set in an imaginary city 15 years in the future uh yeah it's kind of wild um the the book there's a book that brings this up right uh, by maitland mcdonough called broken mirrors broken minds i have this book and i've had it for a long time it's a really cool book which is going it's making me definitely want to reread it with armed with with this information <laughs> um, you know but yeah visually he, he does a lot of different things there's that wonderful crane shot and you know look it's not the 70s anymore this movie is is brighter it's got you know the brighter colors and you know it's 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 very 80s i mean it's it's 82 but it could be 86 i mean you know what i'm saying it could be it, it, i like the fact that there's a potential that it takes place even later than when it was shot you know and i can see that now and i might not have even thought about that without that information yeah definitely and and um yeah, there's, there's there is a very '80s vibe to this. Like, there's a lot more female, like frontal nudity, and you know, uh, mm -hmm. in this film as opposed to Deep Red, and uh, it's a little sleazier. You know, there's a, a, a heavily, uh, you know, there's an emphasis on like prostitutes and that sort of stuff in this film. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, this the the, the body count in this is, is is higher than in Deep Red. It's it's pretty a pretty high body count and part of me feels like there's a he potentially wants to keep up with what's happening in america maybe with with the friday the 13th and, and like the oh. slight like the movies slasher movies are in full swing in america in 1982 okay like friday the 13th part one has come out part two has come out by 82 and it is big business like horror movies are big business and slasher horror movies are big business uh, is this movie a call to that? Maybe. I, I think it, it could very well be. But it but it is also a European film. You know what I'm saying? It's also an Argento film. So it's got his fucking stamp and his trademarks in it. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there is a lot of those, uh, you know, like the, the tropes of um, of Giallo films with the glove and the, you know, the razor blade or the knife and all that sort of stuff in it. It's funny. Apparently... Some commentators said that Tenebrae was a direct reaction by Argento to the criticism of his previous work uh, with his depictions of the murders of women. Basically, does that mean he wanted to just up the ante and piss more people off who might have been by all the female killings in well, his I, other movies? That, I, I, I would know? say that because there's a lot of a lot of women get killed in this movie. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. Um. The thing, though, I, I've, I've referred to this as the last Giallo. By 1982, this movie comes out in October, October 27th, 1982 in Italy. Giallo has definitely run its course. And, you know, the, the American thing has really taken off. And th there's even a change in the Italian film industry at this point. Um, and the other interesting thing about this movie, it is a goblin score but it's not a goblin score. It is not billed as goblin for some reason. And well, I have never, yeah. yeah. It's a goblin that had officially broken up in uh, by 82. By 82 right. So right. It, it was just uh, Claudio Simonetti 
uh, Fabio uh, Pignatelli and um, and Ronde. Yes, uh, Ma Massimo Massimo uh, Morante are in it. Those are the mm -hmm. only three guys from Goblin. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. And it's funny when <laughs> I've seen two versions of Goblin. I've seen the one with Simonetti. Yeah. Where they the whole full reunion, and then I saw one without him, and. Both times were fucking awesome, I have to say. But it is really cool to just see Simonetti do his thing because he's, you know, it was, it was his his band, so to speak. He's the main guy in a way. But uh, I, I've definitely enjoyed both versions. And both versions, you know, did this very well, did this fucking score. Um, if, if you're familiar with Tenebrae, this, uh, gone are the proggy jams. And they've been replaced by the awesome Italo disco jams, right, Mike? Oh yeah, it's all synth heavy, very eighties. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uh, it's a it's not it's not what we had in Deep Red, definitely not. Yeah. So, but it's but still it was, it's still pretty awesome, though. Oh yeah, to me it is equally awesome. Just a different genre of music. Um, where the, as the other one sends us a chill down your spine, this makes you want to hit the dance floor and do some cocaine. Honestly, yeah, that's yeah, very cokey, very cokey yeah. uh, sport. Yeah, and that's what reminds me of Scarface. This movie, it just yeah. it just brings it to mind. Like when they're in that when when they're in the club, it's Scarface. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like if Rome was really Miami. You know, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, Tenebrae was a was apparently just you know a modest success in Italy. Uh, in the UK, it was banned. It was on the video nasties list. You couldn't buy it in the UK until 1999. Wow, that's wild. Um, and in America, it came out again, very edited and cut under the movie title Unsane. Um, <laughs> and I always wondered if the band Unsane got it from this movie. But Probably. No. Yeah. Maybe, you never know, right? I think that um, that guy Chris is like a film guy. I think he he's into like a lot of like cool films and stuff. I don't know him personally, but that's what people have told me. Could be interesting. Uh, the cut version of Unsane is pretty bad, actually. It's 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 just not anywhere near as cool as interesting as the real version. Um, and it's funny that uh, author Maitland McDonough said in in many aspects. This is Argento's the finest film he's ever made. What do you think about that statement? Um, no, I, I mean, I this is a great movie, one of my favorites. I would say that, in my humble opinion, his finest moment was Suspiria. Hmm. For me, okay, personally, you know, but you know, maybe, maybe out of his uh, Giallo films, you know, maybe because it was different, you know, it had a different I vibe. Think... Maybe that's why it stuck out more. This okay. This is my number two of his giallos. My number one of his giallos is Deep Red. This is my fast number two, and my fast number three is Bird with Crystal Plumage. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I do place this behind Deep Red in my overall Argento numbering. My number one being Suspiria, my number two being Deep Red. Tenebrae is my number three. But giving this this really fresh rewatch, I just I realize just how much I enjoy it. Um, I love like the play on like the, the Arthur Conan Doyle thing. I love the fact that for a, a very large majority of this movie, you really do not know who the killer is. I really remember being 
pretty pretty shocked by that ending actually i don't know and that that really creepy scene of him coming up behind the, the policeman isn't that a great scene well i i there was a a moment when i watched this obviously years ago where i thought that neil would have was the killer and then i'm like nah mm-hmm. and then it turns out that he is so <laughs> it kind of like now, you, you'll switch a there you know well here's the thing He's the half killer. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, the, the, uh, well, sorry, everybody. We're spoiling the movie. The movie's 40 years old. Um, <laughs> uh, Luciano Berti, the, the, the critic, is, the, is literally the main killer. Okay? But once he, he kills Berti himself and realizes that he can fucking do this, you know what I'm saying? Then he is the killer. He's the killer of the last three victims, basically. Right. Or four victims. But uh, I don't know. I think there's just a, a lot of really great dialogue in this movie, uh, I, I think. Um, is it, I don't know, is it misogynistic? Is it over the top at times? I don't know. I mean, it has to me one of the greatest acts moments ever uh, at the very end of the movie when he, 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 he kills a, a, his, his ex-wife, I believe, or his ex-girlfriend with the axe. That is insane. And like the blood spatter, the music, like it is very hyper-realistic part. Um, and that scene that I, I mentioned before where he comes behind the, the, the police officer was basically shot frame for frame in Brian De Palma's Raising Cain. Have you seen that movie? Raising Cain? Yes, from 1992. I want to really? say I have. I, I I know that I've seen it. I just can't remember too much about it. It's a Lithgow, John Lithgow. Yes. Yep. It's it's good. It's a good movie. I, I can picture the poster, of the film too. So Diallo um, esque, yes. Um, and yeah, he he definitely he takes a shot from Tenebrae in the movie. It's really cool, and it's actually his uh, De Palma's uh, riff on it is almost like old scarier. Actually, that's all I'll say. I don't want to. I don't want to kill that for everybody, but um, I liked the one of my favorite parts of this movie is when uh, the policeman, uh, Detective Germani, is talking to Peter Neal, and and they 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 say you know uh, what whatever is uh, oh man I'm gonna have to look up the actual line like you know what I'm talking about where he says about what about the truth. And about reality and and you know what i'm saying yeah 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 uh i thought that was actually really cool it, that was the line from the arthur conan doyle book the hound of the baskervilles oh, i thought that was actually kind of really inventive and creative and it shows just how much into thrillers and detective shit that argento really was you know definitely um another great thing about this movie is you know I mentioned like the usage of, of color and and the soundtrack, and it's just you know it's got like the, the you know the Miami vibes and the Scarface vibes, but it also I think it just kind of puts a cap on that era of of these giallo films and these fucking awesome Italian movies that came out that just really you know after eighty two it just wasn't there anymore you know and I think. Uh, European horror just kind of really took a backseat to what was going on in America. And and even actually at this point, Argento himself, after this movie, uh, 
did a bunch of his producing stuff with Demons 1 and 2 after this. Oh, yeah, Demons 2 is like, that's incredible. I love, I love that. Yeah. Demons 1's actually pretty good, too, but I... Demons I 2, you. for some reason, is the one I gravitate more towards, though. Mm. Uh, a lot of this movie takes place in the, in the daytime, and a lot of the killings are in the daytime. I mean, it has a lot of the regular Giallo trappings. Like, the women in this movie are gorgeous. Um, almost all, every woman in this movie is gorgeous. Uh, interesting little side note. Um, uh, talking about the dubbing, uh, Daria Nicolodi is in this movie as uh she's basically what like the the assistant yeah Anthony it's like Francis? his assistant like tour manager type uh person okay, you know, it's like yeah uh it's not a huge role um it's fairly decent role it's not like a really big big role she's not in a ton of the movie in my opinion um but her dubbing was actress rebecca de mornay from risky business interesting yeah. And it's funny to hear, like, watching the movie last night, I'm just, I completely have, you know, the, the blonde Rebecca de Mornay in my head from, you know, Hand That Rocks the Cradle and, and Risky Business. And I'm just like, how did that even happen? <laughs> you know, like, of all the people, you know? You know what her name, her name is uh, Anne <laughs> in, the, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Anne. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that's her but character. Apparently, hold on a second. Yeah, the, the the soundtrack for this it has just really cool, you know, Italo disco vibes, and like, isn't one of the tracks on it is is called Lesbian? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, interesting. See, it's just like I said, I I don't things that were just really kind of of its time and and I could see how this movie was really kind of like some people were probably not on board with everything that was was taking place in it back then um it's definitely one of his I don't know would you say it's his most violent or yeah there there's a lot of violence in it and it's uh the violence is is pretty harsh like the way it happens you know what i mean and um I think we touched on this earlier that it's probably one of his uh, sleazier films too. No, definitely. Definitely. But uh, again, there are lesbian characters in this movie. Uh, They do meet horrible fates (laughs) because the guy, the the killer is a deranged psychopath who wants to, you know, wants to kill the the world, rid the world of, of slimy perverts. That, the term perverts is used about 8 million times in this movie. <laughs> right, but that's never been like, uh, that, that's, that, that's the, the villain. Like, that's the killer. It's like uh, uh, someone who's got a uh, psychotic, uh, you know, kind of bent. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like a green light to go out and kill people who have a different lifestyle, you know. Right. Now, it's funny. I said that it was Rebecca de Mornay. Now, which I have read in certain articles, but I've come across another article that says that it, she was voiced by other, the other American actress, Teresa Russell, Daria Nicolodi. And <laughs> Teresa Russell, it does kind of, it, it sounds like it could be either one. So I'm going to have to get to the bottom of that mystery. If it was Rebecca Morning or Teresa Russell. Teresa Russell went on to have a much really deeper voice as she got older. In, in life. 
but this is her in 1982. Now, um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about real quick, we were talking about like, you know, misogyny and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. I think in some ways, like a counterbalance to that was um, in the in the in the flashbacks. There's a scene that actually features uh, Michaeli Suave, our um, another one of our favorites who uh, did Del Amore. Argento protege, yes. Yeah. And there's this very, very attractive lady. Um, you know, he's being hassled by uh, a group of men. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's uh, Eva Robbins, who is a uh, famous transgender Italian actress. actress. Yeah. Now, it's uh, we, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. When I first saw this movie around 99 or 2000, okay, for the first time, I just thought it was... I, I had no idea it was not a, 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 a you know, a, a, a naturally born woman, basically. I mean, she looks like a stunning woman. There's like a nude scene. I had no idea that it was a transgender actress at all. And when I read about it years later, I was like, wow. You know, I was like, holy shit. You know, like, Argento was really ahead of the curve here. Because I don't even, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if you found this out. Is 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 that the is that the whole deal in the flashback or not at all or it just so so happens that that actress is transgender? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, well is that, that a that's what I wanted to touch on was that I think that, and this is what makes Argento cool in my book, despite all of the uh, you know uh, flack that he takes for being a misogynist or whatever, which is like the fact, that, like he had a transgender actress play a woman. I mean, I don't be I believe that the woman on the beach was supposed to be a woman. Right. Yes. Yeah. And uh huh. I just think that's fucking cool. You know what I mean? He just did that to be a very kind of like progressive and just I think he did it to just fuck with people in a yeah. way, too. Like, you know what I mean, like, yeah, you know, like it wasn't because weird. It wasn't like they weren't back then. Yeah. They but weren't... if you're watching this in America. Oh, sorry, Michael. You're saying? No, they, they weren't playing it like. Like, oh, this is some, like, you know, just madness, you know, this crazy thing. It was right. just, like, beautiful woman played by a transgender yeah. actress. And that's and just, there it is, you know. And I think that, uh, like, stuff like that kind of trumps, I think, a lot of the, um, you know, the, 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 the narrative stuff that people yeah, talk about. Exactly. You know, I think that it trumps a lot of that stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, his, his you know, and he... To me, look, he, he put hit the love of his life in a ton of his movies. He put his daughter in a ton of his movies. To me, I, I would seem like he he is the furthest thing from a misogynist in a lot of ways. He's like the polar opposite of Fulci or Fulci's reputation to me. I don't know. Um, you know, it's it's funny. For, for a long time, as I said, this movie was wasn't as looked at fondly. As, as you know, Deep Red or Suspiria, but over the years, it has been looked at extremely finely, apparently, and uh, other writers and other directors have, have talked about how much they've enjoyed it, um, and this movie also gets some credit uh, for the usage of the, of the Lunia Crane, that sequence uh, with the, the, the female couple, which is really cool, and uh, a few years later, it was used in The Untouchables in a similar sequence as well, another De Palma movie, I mean, Jesus Christ, who loved Dario Argento more than Brian De Palma? <laughs> yeah. 
right? Yeah, no, it's, it's clear. Um, I mean, God, it's like between like body double and breast to kill and untouchables and, you know, uh, raising cane. I mean, the guy loves, he's an Italian American who loves Dario Argento. That's great. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thing is, it's again, it, it's, it's also, it's not the final movie uh, with uh, the Dario Daria connection it is not, does not end here. Uh, that actually ends really with, you could say, uh, opera. And she does make an appearance in The Sect, which Argento produced and Suave directed. And like I said, she does appear in the not-so-wonderful Mother of Tears. Right. But to me, this just this caps off a wonderful run, you know, that, that starts in 69 and ends in 82. That's quite a good run. I mean, right? Absolutely, man. I mean, that's, you know. That that's uh, a lot of a lot of filmmakers can't can't boast something like that. No, I mean, his, I think Argento's run is up there with Carpenter's awesome run and Cronenberg's even more awesome run. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. of about of ten years or, or more of just back to back like bangers, you know. Um, what do you give Tenebrae? Oh man, I give it a five out of five. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to give, like this, uh, you know, era of Argento's films anything less than a four point five. Really, in my opinion. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I mean, you know, e even like even like Cat of Nine Tails and uh, uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Some people I've heard, ah, oh, they're not as good, but. I've I've gone back to uh, Cat of Nine Tails, and it's actually a really fucking good movie. Uh, I don't own Four Flies on Grey Velvet because it's been harder to own. I need it's it's just it, it never the rights to it never fell into like your blue undergrounds and your anchor bays and you know uh, arrows uh, of the world. Um, Synapse has a wonderful version of uh, Tenebrae on Blu-ray that you could get. Uh, which is what I watched last night. It looks like a fucking million bucks. Um, I would definitely suggest picking that up. Um, and yeah, I, I used to have the the Anchor Bay VHS of this, and that was like my first, you know, taste of the the uncut Tenebrae. But uh, I do remember seeing Unsane as a younger man, and I think Unsane was on HBO. It was on cable back in the day at one point. Yeah, I, I definitely remember it being on cable. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think that like we, we were kind of due for any for, for our gentle discussion of sorts on the show. Would you agree, Mike? <laughs> yeah, we should we should dig deeper into the genre of uh, giallos and maybe talk about yeah, yeah. some other other directors and also. Um... Like like other American films, like we mentioned about three or four films that are highly deeply inspired by that style and it'd be cool mm -hmm. to talk about them too even though some of them aren't necessarily horror films like in a classic sense but they're you know it's very they're very similar to the to uh tenebrae or, or deep red you know there's like a, a murder there's brutal murders there's like a uh some kind of sexual like deviance involved you know yeah, like to me, like the, the big trademarks are, are the, the, you know, the beautiful women and the sex and the music 
and the mystery. They're just these certain trademarks that look. There are other movies that that fall in line with that, that but they they aren't really giallo movies. But to me, they'll have that giallo stamp. Like Basic Instinct. I mean, God, the whole thing to me reminds me of of Italian movies, really. But it's it's an American movie, you know. Um, you know, my, my my buddy Mark says only Italian movies can be giallos, but then I reminded him of certain key Spanish giallos, and he's like, okay, he goes, but you know, all these other movies can be giallo influenced or inspired. I said, all right, all right, I'll give you that much. They are inspired or influenced, but I mean, some of them to me are just shit, straight up, you know. Well, like, we, I mean, Body Double is a perfect example, you know. And, mm-hmm. and that, I don't know how many people have actually seen that movie, but it's um, there's there are things in that film where the reveal of the killer, like the way he yeah. kills the yeah. women, like uh, you know, well, actually he only murders one person, but uh, but the 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 murder is a pretty intense, uh, you know, very very extreme way. Like like it, I guess one of the things in the American style is that they're crime dramas with slasher film violence yeah yeah you know what i mean mean? like even like dress to kill you know it's got like slasher film style extremity when it comes to violence Mm -hmm. you know and a lot of these movies that like to have the the red herring or the the false reveal or the false you know what i'm saying like it's another uh, another big trope yeah you know which would enjoy like i I mean i remember basic instinct has one of those too you know and it has it it plays on sexuality there are characters with different sexualities in them all of these movies have these things you know what i'm saying and i think that's what makes these movies so fun and so great and and very watchable and uh, a lot of people say well the jail thing is very very specific and it's only a certain type of blah 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 person likes it it's not for everybody but I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much that's true anymore. Um, I feel like uh, m- someone is discovering uh, Argento every day, much like someone is discovering a Misfits record every day or, you know, what I'm saying or like, sure. you know, uh, I feel like there's like a, a certain kind of a similarity there. Like someone's discovering death metal or black metal every day. Someone is finding these movies and enjoying them. Uh, that's why there wouldn't be 700 DVD and VHS versions of them and 500 vinyl pressings of these movies at this point, you know, uh, there's a tremendous, these films is the, uh, the score for Tenebrae is who did, uh, who put that out? What's the most recent, is it like waxworks has a version of this? Uh, Mondo death waltz did one. And then I, I do believe waxworks did do one, but I think it's gone. I think it's out of, print but there's it's weird there's there's so many that you could still find one for a decent price but it might not be the hot one in the hot color but it'll be another version um like i'm I'm finding that like like the fog for instance uh waxworks just put out a, a you know a pressing of it that sold very well um and it has you know the a completely different cover Meanwhile, there's a there's one that has a much cooler cover that looks like the movie poster art that's available that you could still get for like twenty five bucks, and it's not you know out of print and going for eighty dollars. So it's just it's just kind of weird, like the, the soundtrack thing. 
I believe you can still get one for a decent price, maybe 30 bucks, 35 bucks. Um, but yeah, people like this, this score a lot. So it sells well, just like the Suspiria one does. Yeah, it's uh, definitely like a departure, I think, for those guys, you know, the, the three guys from Goblin that made that score, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, I, I guess, I, I bet you in a, never, a million years, they never would have thought that like, they, okay, no, we need to call this Goblin music. You know what I'm saying? It's like a sales, from a sales point of view, like, you know, yeah. like you know, people automatically just, it's like, oh, it's Goblin, oh, you know, but in a way it kind of wasn't. So it's kind of funny, right? I, I had the opportunity to catch uh, Simonetti's Goblin uh, one of the years that we played at uh, Roadburn in Holland, and they were performing the score for uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, wow. That's showed, awesome. Yeah, they showed the movie, and it, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen, man. And um, and actually at the Salem Horror Fest uh, back in 2019, um, Maurizio Garini did uh, – the score for um, Dante's Inferno, the uh, the silent film. It was oh. fucking unbelievable. It was first of all, it happened like in the middle of the day. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, so it was like this auditorium. They show the silent film, and then Garini comes out with his like synth setup, like in a laptop and all this stuff, and he just he fucking plays the score. It was amazing. Uh, that's really cool, man. So cool, man. And, you know, yeah, it's like stuff like that, man. I just really hope that we can get back to doing cool things like that at some point soon. Now, here's a little really cool tidbit. Argento originally offered the role of Peter Neal in Tenebrae to Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh, my God. In 1982, Christopher Walken. Uh, but eventually, it went to Anthony Franciosa. Uh, Kim Newman felt that Franciosa's casting was fortunate, as he was capable of bringing more to the role than the script asked for. Uh, Kim Newman also believed, uh, that's one of the, uh, I believe an Argento uh, biographer, that if Walken had been cast, it would have been way more obvious that he was the killer. <laughs> I could see that, yeah. I could definitely, definitely see that being a... Uh... You know, I mean, because Walken is like, you know, he, you know how he plays it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. wow. Now, okay, so, and Argento and Nicolotti were romantically involved at the time. But during the filming of this, their relationship was a little, a little on the outs over story credit on Suspiria. That was oh, still wow. going on. That was still going on back by 82. That movie's in 77, okay? Huh. Initially, Nickelodeon was like, okay, I'll have a small role in Tenebrae, a smaller one. Uh, but she ended up, you know, with the role as Anne. Um, and uh, but then apparently there was talk of her being the woman on the beach, but then that was apparently discredited, uh, you know, uh, of Nickelodeon being the woman on the beach, which I don't think would have worked. Yeah. I think she got, yeah, exactly. And then it says uh, transgender actress Eva Robin was later hired to play the woman on the beach. Interesting. Wow. Imagine walking. Jesus. Totally different movie. Yeah, right? I think there's something about that, about Andy Franciosa that's very believed. Like, it was, I don't know, it's just it was kind of every manish, right? For most of the movie, I, I thought. 
Yeah, I think that he just feels like he looks like a writer. You know what I mean? Mm. He's supposed to play an author. Yeah. Yes. Know? And something else I wanted to touch on before we uh, say goodbye. I felt that this movie, like something like Stephen Kingish, like it reminded me of. Like I felt like the like this story, like Tenebrae's actual like script story, would be like an awesome book. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Like a really cool horror book. You know, like I would love to read. I would love to read books of a, of a, of a lot of Argento stuff, to be honest. But they don't. It'd be interesting to to like see how if the script was any much you know more different you know like sometimes like uh you know take for example uh what's the the, the jungle movie from uh what's his name oh god i can't think of it right now jungle movie uh are you talking about green inferno or uh i read the green inferno script before i saw the movie the script was not the same huh. uh and i wonder just how you know if, if this script might have had some differences and you know, things like that can kind of like read very well. And then when you're shooting it, it's like, nope, we need to change it. Could be. Could be. Yeah, could be. Could be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we wanted to finally dip our toes in, in, in a director who's made quite an impact on our lives. And, you know, is someone that is kind of always in the back of our heads, I think, in maybe even every episode. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, he's an icon in horror films, so, yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, rest in peace to Daria Nicolodi. I mean, uh, another really cool movie of hers to see, which was, for some reason, was the very first DVD I ever bought. Uh, it's a late-period Bava movie called Shock from 1977. That's actually pretty cool, too. Check that out. I got I to gotta look. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, Mario Bava's Shock. With, yeah, she's the star of it, actually. So, yes, that wraps up another episode of Necromaniacs Podcast. We thank you all for checking us out. Please be sure to subscribe uh, on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Right, Mike? Yeah, YouTube, you know. And uh, give mm -hmm. us a like on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. And, uh yeah, if you guys want to get in touch, uh, also feel free to hit us up. You know, any of those uh, methods, you know, you can uh, slide into our DMs on Instagram. Are you cool DMs, as they say, like the kids say, you know, yeah. like the cool kids. All right. Thank you all very much. Be safe and be well. Take care, guys. <laughs>